Hello, and welcome to Where Am I To Go podcast. Today, before we start the show, I would like to bring up some business things that have kind of been on my mind so that you can know where to get more Where Am I To Go. First off, I'd like to talk about the Facebook page at Where Am I To Go podcast. It's on Facebook, and we've been posting some wonderful pictures of some of the places that we've been and some of the adventures that we've had. Not everything that we go and do is made into a podcast, and so we take pictures at different places and post those pictures so that you guys can enjoy some of the different places we've been. Also, I really am interested in listener feedback. I have an email address at whereamitogopodcast at gmail.com. Again, that is whereamitogopodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear some of the listeners' comments and some of their ideas of places that might be interesting to visit and go and do. I am excited about today's podcast. We are in Topeka, Kansas. Last night, we spent the night at Truck Henge, which you'll just have to look at the pictures. But today, we're going to go through what I would consider a childhood dream. We are at the Evil Knievel Museum in Topeka, Kansas. I guess it is the largest collection of Evil Knievel stuff in the world. And we are here with Mike. He is the owner of a Harley-Davidson dealership. They have some beautiful bikes here, and the Evil Knievel Museum, that to me is the attraction. Hey, Mike, how are you doing? Great, great. Fun to have you guys here today. Oh, we're hoping that this is, I mean, from the little bit I've seen, this is going to be a blast. Yeah, we're going to have fun. We are. We are. Yes. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your dealership. Well, um, we're a longtime Harley dealership. My grandfather... Uh, purchased it in 1949, but his story actually goes back to 1926 when he got into the Harley-Davidson business. So um, we've been in, I mean, our family's been in it over 90 years. Um, in 49, he pur purchased it here in Topeka. Um, and so I'm third generation. Uh, one of the things that we do is we embrace our history. So the name of our dealership is Historic Harley-Davidson. Uh, we're one of the top 10 family-owned dealerships as far as length of time for a family to own a Harley-Davidson dealership. Wow. Um, so with that history, one of the things we kind of focus on and differentiate from other Harley dealers is we do restorations. Okay. So we, uh, like right now in the, in the dealership, we have about six restorations going for people all over the country, from Florida, Michigan, North Dakota, um, Colorado, um, New Orleans, uh, Louisiana. So there's people that send their bikes here to, to have them done. So that's that's kind of a, a, this kind of starts to tell the story of why the Evil Knievel Museum is here. So we uh, years ago we did a job for uh, rock and roll legend Jerry Lee Lewis. Okay. So they found out about us, and Harley had given him a bike in 1958. He'd kept it that that long but wow. it had gone into disrepair so they had somebody start working on it to bring it back and they disassembled the bike and kind of quit 
Well, they called us and we drove to Memphis and got to meet the killer and uh, went into his garage to f- get his bike and we found it in sacks, buckets, oh, oh, oh. Uh, boxes, drawers. So uh, uh, Bruce Zimmerman and I, um, got my right hand man, we, we went through everything and we, we gathered it all up. It took us a couple hours to find everything. We brought it uh, back here, put it together. Took us a while, but brought it back to museum quality. Got it back to, to Jerry Lee. He was thrilled. Uh, their family was thrilled. He put it in his living room. Um, and uh, the family made a decision to sell it through Meekum Auctions. Okay. And uh, this was about five years ago. Meekum, uh, they advertised it and publicized it a lot and put it on the, the, uh, the auction block. They started the auction. Halfway through, they stopped and brought Jerry Lee out, and he played Great Balls of Fire. And then they started the auction back up again, and the bike went for $385,000. Holy smokes. So it was a top 20 bike of all time at that point for auctions. So we were pretty proud of the fact that we brought it from buckets, rusted parts, to a $385,000 bike. Well, the story then goes to another year or two later, and the family called back and they said, hey, we have this business contact. His name is Lathan McKay, and he's the world's leading collector of Evil Knievel items. So late, and that perked me up because I've always been in this business, and I'm, I'm a kid of the 70s, and, and uh, so I'm listening close, and they said, hey, he just purchased Evil's Mack truck, his 1974 Mack truck semi and trailer. Oh, wow. And They've taken it to a place in New Jersey to have it restored. And the people in New Jersey have looked at it for a year and haven't touched it, and he's frustrated. We know you guys are in the restoration business, so do you know anybody that does Mack truck restorations? And I just kind of blurted out, we do Mack truck restorations. And never, That's your forte, right? Yeah, That's what we, you've always done is Mack truck restoration? So I went and told Bruce that we... You know, well, actually, they said, you do. And I said, well, yeah, we can do this, um, no problem. And uh, they said, well, great. You guys did a great job on the bike. We'll, we'll, we'll hire you. And then I went and told Bruce what I'd done. And he said I was crazy and maybe called me some names. and Because, um, honestly, neither one of us had ever been in a Mack truck. So, um, <laughs> But we took the job knowing that, you know, it's just a bigger, it's a restoration, and it's all this kind of the same, it's just bigger. And then, you know, we can't take credit for what happened completely ourselves, but we, we hired and brought in people from all over Topeka that were experts. Actually, at the end of the restoration, there had been over 90 different people and businesses that had a hand in putting oh, this wow. truck together, which we'll see here in the museum. So cool. it went from really bad shape to... Uh, um, an absolute, uh, you know, museum piece, and it's kind of the the core of our museum, but also the reason why the Evil Can Evil Museum ended up here in Topeka, uh, because we got that job, we got to know Lathan. He didn't have any I- I- ideas of exactly what he was going to do with everything, and then along the process of working on the truck, we just said, "Hey, where's the Evil Can Evil Museum at? We ought to just build a museum, and there isn't one." I'm like, well. Why not? Let's just build it right here in the middle of the U.S. Um, so we contacted the family. 
They'd always wanted a museum. They just didn't ever see it being in Topeka, Kansas. Um, but we, once they saw what we had done on the truck, they kind of, we kind of gained some credibility with them, and they believed in us and let us go for it. And uh, here we are. So wow. That's why it's here. Well, that's cool. Now, is it Knievel family still in Butte, Montana? Parts of the family are in Butte, um, and parts are in um, Las Vegas. So. Okay. But yeah. I know that some... at one point in time right. they had some sort of a something in Butte, Montana, because I'd travel through Montana and I'd always go, I need to go to the Evil Knievel Museum, and then all of a sudden it just wasn't there anymore. Yeah, there's and... there was maybe a little bit of things um, in Butte, and th his grave is there. Um, there are things to see in Butte, but they don't really embrace it um, as a city. Um, and no, I they're think... more into the Irish thing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> So, St. Patrick's Day in Butte, Montana, I hear, is absolutely yeah, wild. Well, I have had, not ever gone. But. They, they also had Evil Knievel Days for many years, and uh, just a couple of years ago, they, they stopped having it. But uh, So that was a big festival every year, too. So in that regard, they, they did embrace it. Um, we did get some calls from people from Butte after we opened up here, and they said, why the heck is this in Kansas, not in Butte, Montana? And I, you know, I just said I don't live in Butte. Yeah, you know? exactly. So that's why it's in Topeka. That's the reason I grew up in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> My parents didn't live in in Mont in Wyoming. So that's right. <laughs> that's know? right. That's right. So you guys want to go in and check it out? Oh yeah. Do we want to go in? Yeah, let's go. Boy, that's kind of a kind of a <laughs> risky question there. Heck yes. No, as we're coming down this first hall after we after we stop at the at the entrance desk. By the way, how much is the entrance to this? It's fifteen dollars. Um, the uh, for active military veterans and uh, seniors, it's twelve. Okay. And then kids is seven, but um, younger kids, it's free. So. Okay. Yeah. And so as we're walking down this wall, you've got. Uh, all of his records and different things that Evil Knievel said on a great big banner. It's, it's kind of like a wallpaper, all except it looks more like a canvas. It's a 40-foot banner, and yeah, it just kind of has some different uh, pieces of Evil's history. Like you said, some of his, some of his uh, records. Uh, you know, there's records here, too, where it says he was in a coma uh, for 40 days. And the, the great thing about Evil is... All of his records and and uh, things like this are sometimes exaggerated. You know, okay. that was evil. I mean, he promoted. And, right. You know. Uh, well, we got and, hospital time three and a half years. You know, it adds up, and then it's, <laughs> again, it's it, it's it's probably close to that. I mean, he was in the hospital a lot. He broke tons of bones. Spent a lot of time in in hospitals, and that's kind of what made him. Almost, really, that's what made him famous when he crashed. Right. You know, maybe we ought to jump back just a little tiny bit and explain to who some who Evil Knievel was to some of our younger uh, audience because you and I grew up in the 70s. Yeah. And every Stingray bicycle was was uh, jumped over little blocks with uh, a ramp on it, a plywood ramp. Yep, just like that, a garbage can with a Schwinn bicycle a guy a kid wearing a helmet now everybody had to put on their helmet before helmets were cool nobody wore helmets in the 70s unless they were playing evil Knievel okay that's me that's that, you yeah. oh. yeah. so <laughs> there's a to, picture of him yeah. 
doing a wheelie in front of a. No, you're on. You, I see the jump. Yep. He was doing a jump in front on of a, a car stingray here. bicycle. On a stingray as you said. bicycle. Oh, yeah, yeah, which is what all all kids did. And then we have a wall here too. Um, to your point of kids from all over the country from the '70s that were jumping their bicycles, mainly stingray winds. Um, well, they, what they were doing, they were emulating Evil Knievel. And in the 1970s, um, really. So, from, did you ever jump one of your friends? Oh, obviously, everybody <laughs> always did that. You yeah. put your friends in front of the in front of the ramp and jump them. You there's, know, there's so much of that. Uh, you have to wonder what the what the emergency room people thought every time that a kid came in with a broken arm. So we evil can evil again. Yeah, we collect uh, um, newspaper articles, and there's many articles about how evil was such a bad influence on kids because kids were going in there with broken arms. <laughs> But people love to tell us stories, too, when they come to the museum about, yeah, I broke my arm, and it's a great story, you know? So it all ends well. So Evil, what, the reason he was so popular, um, he was really the, you know, there were guys that jumped motorcycles before Evil Knievel. Uh, but nobody really did it on the scale or the promotion level that Evil did it. Um, right. He, he was the first guy that really figured out how to promote himself. And went big and just kind of saw no boundaries as far as what he could accomplish this, um, and he did it but sometimes he crashed but what made him so popular was even when he crashed he didn't quit right oh yeah you know he came back um, and they weren't so, they weren't minor little crashes they minor it's amazing he died of natural causes did yeah, he yeah yeah nothing related I mean, to crashing. how in the world do you Take the crashes. I've I've seen the crashes because of, I was a kid. I mean, jumping what fifteen buses or twenty buses and not hitting the ramp on the other side and and just being a heap of bones. Yeah, we'll see those jumps when we go through the museum here. But that's yeah, that's what uh, that's what made him a legend. Um, and plus, he had a really cool name. He did. <laughs> do you want to? Do you know how he got his name? And we can talk well, about let's that. Let's do that. So. The, the start of our museum here kind of tells that the story from where he's a, a kid in Butte, Montana. And he grew up, uh, Butte's a mining town, rough town. Um, back in the day, it was. Let's a really move down tough just place. a little bit because we've, the, the speaker here in the back sure. is going to interfere sure. with us a little bit. Okay, we're good. So, Evil, uh, in, as a young kid, kind of, he's kind of a troublemaker and uh, ran around Butte and got in, got in trouble. He rode a motorcycle, um, got thrown in jail one night uh, for doing something. And there was another guy in, in Butte, Knoffel. Uh, so the, the jailer had these two guys, Knievel kid and the Knoffel kid in the jail. And he said, it's gonna be a heck of a night. I got awful Knoffel in here and evil Knievel. <laughs> and uh, really, his name's Bob, Bobby Knievel, or Robert Knievel. Okay. So, uh, that's funny. Kind of thought that sounded cool, you know, just like you said. Yeah. It's just a, such a cool name. So he, he kept it. And uh, with that name, um, he changed it from E V I L to E V E L, you know, so okay. it's not evil. Right. And uh, went from there. So, yeah, the name has meant a lot to his career. Uh, so. You know, I got to tell another story too here, okay. because you see uh, um, this board back here. It says the connection to Topeka, and we explained why the museum's in Topeka. But I had a um, 
a lady walk into my office right after we um, had announced that the museum was going to be here, and she brought me a picture of Evil and her mom from the 1970s. And I thought, well, that's nice, but and she's like, I, I blew it up for you. You can put it in your museum. I'm like, thank you, <laughs> appreciate it. You know, I don't know where we're going to put it, but um, so I started asking questions. She said, well, we were family friends. And I go, well, tell me more. And she said, well, my uncle, um, his name was George, and he grew up just right south of Topeka. And George, um, as a kid, would take his dad's and his uncle's car at night and run the gravel roads um, and kind of would steal him and cause trouble. And one night he crashed the car, rolled it. So they sent George off to military school. Well, George came back from military school, and now his sister... Um, lived in Topeka. Okay. So he's walking around Topeka uh, looking for a job and walks by this machine shop, um, Shorty's Meinholz Machine Shop. It's still here in Topeka. This is in the 1930s. Okay. Wow. So he walks in and he said, Shorty says, well, I don't have a job for you, George, but I work on race cars. And if you want to help me, you can just come in and help at night. Well, he did. And... Um, they went to the races, and as the story has it, one of the uh, drivers didn't show up for the race. So they put George in the car, and George won the race and started a racing career. Um, later, a few years later, he got misidentified as the, uh, um, because of the, the sponsor on the car, and the, and the reporter thought his name was Joey. So they went on and called him Joey from then on. Well, Joey went on in his career and raced at the Indianapolis 500 five times. Really? He was the first driver to wear a seatbelt there. Um, so he's kind of a groundbreaker. And then went on to, uh, after his racing career, and started a, a thrill show called the Joey Chitwood Thrill Shows. Okay. Many of your listeners are going to know who the Joey Chitwood Thrill Shows were because it was very popular through the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Well, the Joey Chitwood Thrill Shows went to Butte, Montana. Um, in the 50s and there was a kid there Bobby Knievel and he saw this show and on that day he said that's what I want to do wow um, so Joey Chitwood was Evil Knievel's Mentor. inspiration yeah. yeah and he's from Topeka well cool yeah so we were like gives me goosebumps still when I tell that story because <laughs> it was like well maybe it, there is a there's a connection here and there's a reason why it's in Topeka because Evil's, if there was no, if it wasn't for this Topekan, Joey Chitwood, there would be no Evil Knievel. Right. So, wow. there we go. Um, Great how yeah, yeah, it just was by, by chance. So, um, and then on, the, on these walls, you've got a video down here about Chitwood. Yep. Uh, I was looking at that a little bit earlier, and then you've got uh, some of his early beginnings, some pictures and stuff in Butte, Montana. And then we're over here that says Hollywood, California. You've got a couple of early 60s pickups, and it looks like Evil's jumping those. They're parked back-to-back. -back. Yeah, so if you look at this display, it was called the Motorcycle Daredevils. And really, based on the Joey Chitwood thrill shows, he, he was reinventing that, and he had a crew with him. So there was multiple guys that were, that were doing this show with him. Okay. And they were going through firewalls like Chitwood. They were doing fun stuff. They kind of had a clown. And that was his first, uh, his first shows were doing that. Well, 
the way it turned out is he couldn't pay everybody. It wasn't being profitable enough that he could pay all the guys. So he went off on his own and just kind of kept the same thing. He was actually wearing yellow and black that, back then, okay. as you see in these yeah, pictures. So yeah. that was his, his style pre the red, white, and blue. Okay. So the early beginnings of Evil Knievel, he wore yellow and black leathers. Um, and this was what you're looking at here is a display that's actually a little bit before the Daredevils. One of his careers that he was trying to get put together as a young guy was he, he went in partners on a Honda shop. Okay. In the late, in, well, about the mid-60s. And to promote the shop, out of parade, he was doing wheelies. Okay. And this is a display here showing of the, the same model bike, the, the Honda. A 1966 Honda CL305 Scrambler. Which a lot of visitors are going to know because it was a popular bike back in that day. Right. Well, he's wheeling that, and we've got a picture of him, the only picture from that, that day. But what he also did that day was he got his buddy, um, and he brought, he, Ray Gunn was his name. And he dressed him up as a veterinarian. Okay. Wasn't a veterinarian, but they put on this show, and they said uh, they're gonna. The, he was there to watch the animals, which was some rattlesnakes and a tethered mountain lion. Oh! Uh, so Evil's gonna jump a, a tethered mountain lion and a box of rattlesnakes for this crowd to promote his Honda shop. Okay. So he he made the jump, but came up a little short and hit the rattlesnake box and broke it open and the rattlesnakes went everywhere and the crowd went crazy and the press jumped all <laughs> over it and uh, it was a big deal and he saw how much interest it, it brought and really that's the, that was the moment that he actually did his first stunt for people in the show and basically launched his career and then he came up with the idea of the Daredevils based off of what he'd seen as a kid from Joey Chitwood. So. That is awesome. Yeah, yeah and you've got a, a box with a rattlesnake in it. Yeah, uh, yep. yep. We tell the kids it's live, but uh, <laughs> that, that snake won't bite. So yep. he went on uh, and, you know, and started jumping himself, and this was uh, Ascot Park in Los Angeles. J.C. Agajanian was the promoter, um, a famous racing IndyCar uh, owner and racetrack owner of a legendary track in Southern California. Well, he brought Evil in, and he did several jumps there, but his first jump uh, was the first time he was on ABC Wild World of Sports, which okay. is what's playing right here. And that's Howard Cosell is, is uh, uh, commentating it? Wasn't he, he the world? Howard world did. He was, and Howard did several of his jumps, but not this one. Okay. Um, uh, well, he did the jump that day. He was still in his yellow and black leathers back in that time, and... People had never seen anybody do this. You know, right. jump cars, ramp to ramp, and uh, it was, he was really the first guy that, you know, did it on a major scale, so. From um, the picture here, it looks like he's jumping, what, six cars? Yeah, it's about, like it's about six cars, yeah. And they're parked, they're park, like, in a parking lot. They're, yeah. You know, he's jumping side to side, what not, you're seeing not front there, to back. Right, is a uh, practice jump. He actually jumped 13 cars for the actual, the jump oh. when he did, what he did there, so. Okay. Yep. Wow. So that really launched his career. He was on Wild World Sports, National oh, TV. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and, I mean, that was before ESPN and, and all of that stuff. Back in the 60s and 70s, 
Everybody Wide world was, of sports was the big one. That was one. it. That yeah. was it. I mean, if you're going to watch sports on TV, that's where you saw it. Right. And you exactly. had to you had to schedule your time to watch it too because you you didn't have oh. a DVR or even a videotape. You know, no, you it was Sunday night at six o'clock. If you were going to watch the Wide watch World it. of Sports, you, you were going to watch it. Come then. in from outside and sit down. So <clears throat> yep. people scheduled their time around that. Well, he's in '67 uh, after that jump. That's when he decided to go with the red, white, and blue. And he changed his leathers. Um, it's not what you think of today. They were mainly white, and they had some vertical white and blue stripes on them um, down the front and down the sleeves. Uh, he was riding a Triumph motorcycle during that time. And okay, so he went from the Honda motorcycle to the Triumph. That's right. Uh, so he's jumping the Triumph now. And the way our museum is set up is the different bike models that he had. So this is the Triumph era that okay. we're in. And what we have here rotating is a, uh, a Triumph. Uh, t it's, it's, it's a uh, 67, 650, and it's an exact replica, same year and model as the bike that uh, he rode during that time. Okay, so and you have his you have his leathers. Those was are that, replica was that leathers. Canvas or was that leather? They're leather. Yeah, okay. and this section right here, these are replicas, but they're to show people that these motorcycles, it wasn't anything special. It didn't have extra suspension. It didn't have anything extra in the engine. These were stock street bikes that he was jumping. And you know, and, and let's emphasize that. You know, yeah. I mean, these these kids nowadays they're able to do all these terrific stunts that. <laughs> Probably outdoes a lot of the things that Evil Knievel no did. No question. But they've got mono shocks and they've got these suspension systems that are just phenomenal. This bike has the double shock in the back. Like you said, it's just a street bike. So there's not a lot of, of those guys that would want to jump this bike or would, oh, even, would even do it. Would even consider it. They don't consider it. Um, and the other thing is nobody had done this before Evil. So the guys that are jumping now, I'm not taking anything away from them because they are absolutely amazing and it would blow Evil's mind if he saw what they're doing. But the reason they're doing it is because of Evil. Can Evil exactly. started it? Yep. Somebody had to do it first. And yeah. the guy that jumps and tries it first, the guy that did the back flip first or the two back two flips first, those guys are, you know, they're groundbreakers. Right. And Evil was the number one guy for all of these all of these guys. So and, but but the reason I, I would assume that he wrecked as much as what he did is his landings weren't soft, easy landings. They were all brutal because of the. you don't have the shock travel or anything else in these bikes. He was on the wheel as soon as he hit the, uh, you know, I mean, just bottomed out his shocks immediately. That along with no experience. Yeah. You know, I mean, everything was seat of the pants. It wasn't anybody being able to show how they did it. Right. You know, so as we're standing here, we're looking at Caesar's Palace, which was probably one of the most famous crashes of his career and really you know he was he'd been on Wild World of Sports before that but Caesar's crash got so much attention that it really launched him into Linda's 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 ooing and awing yeah, over here she's watching the crash yeah, he came up short on that ramp didn't just he? a little bit but to your point the suspension couldn't absorb it right so it it that's really what the problem was and he tumbled and crashed, and um, as you can see here on our, our he, he had a concussion, he had a broken pelvis, he had a fractured hip, he had a broken femur, a broken wrist, and two broken ankles. Um, wow. It was a bad That's a crash. a hard hit. It's a hard hit. So most people, 
that would be the end of their career. And what year was that? Was that it was 1967. Okay. Yep. So uh, I remember coming in and watching that one. That one, I think. Well, you did, but ABC. He went to them and said, "Hey, will you will you film this show?" And they said, "You know, we're not interested." Um, but you know, if you film it, um, you know, we'll look at it afterwards and see if we want to do anything with it. So he hired actually uh, John Der- Derrick and Linda Evans, and people might know those names from uh, Linda Evans was on Dynasty, right? And, right. And John right. Derrick was actually later ma- married to Bo Derrick. Okay. Okay. Um, so that's who actually filmed what we're seeing here. Oh, really? And they provided the footage to ABC. And uh, they went on to run it a lot after that. They they kind of missed missed the boat and didn't take it uh, when Evil offered it to them. But uh, once once they ran it and people saw what happened, and then you know Evil Evil said that he was in a had a concussion for uh, twenty nine days, um, or not a concussion, but he was in a coma. coma. Well, uh, Ray. Gun, his his buddy, Ray's been in the museum several times. And he goes, I went there the next day. He was awake. Um, so, you know, but Evil used that, you know, to kind right. of really, you know, how he almost died. And yeah, he really, well, I, the, he the almost big rumor did die. When I was a kid, was he broke every bone in his body? Whether he broke everyone or not, I don't know. But he broke, <laughs> he broke a lot. He broke a lot. He didn't break every bone in his body, but um, more than most. So. Yeah, the Caesar's Palace jump really launched his career and brought him into every household in the country. And that was done on a triumph. That was done on a triumph. Okay. And, and then he moved to, uh, uh, you know, he wasn't getting any support from Triumph, and he got approached by this guy um, that had Jack McCormick that had worked for Honda Motorcycle Company, and Jack was importing a new brand, a Laverta from Italy, and he was rebranding it an American Eagle. This bike was much bigger and heavier, if you can imagine, than the Triumph street bike. Okay. So he gave Evil a couple of bikes to, to jump with, and Evil started, you know, now he's got a sponsorship for some bikes, which he didn't have before, and he started traveling around. problem with the, the American Eagle was the bike was so big that almost half the time he crashed his bike, and it was... It was just too unwieldy um, to uh, to jump. I mean, we've got two of them here in the museum. Two actual bikes; they're the real thing. Uh, one's been restored, and one is unrestored, uh, so people can see. Now, were how either big of these bikes. owned by Evil? No, they're both Evil's bikes. They're both Evil's. They're the bikes. only okay. two that he had. Okay. So when we're looking at these videos here of him crashing and jumping it's on these two bikes here okay so these are the real things these are yeah this one here's got a few dings on it yeah and it's a survivor it was actually found um in montana um just last year and we had a uh um, a ceremony and brought this bike in um to the museum in november um of of last year and it was it's really great to have it it looks like it's really front heavy I've, the, the the pictures that I'm, the video that I'm watching of some of these jumps, it looks like he's coming down on his front wheel almost every time. It's just a massive bike, and I don't even like pushing it around, let alone trying to jump it in the air. It's just a it's just a massive bike. So he didn't jump on it uh, for a long time. He really went about a year and a half, um, 
jump in this bike, and that's it. he moved on. But he, huh. that's when he got his real golden deal for a motorcycle, and he got he got a uh, a contract with Harley Davidson, and uh, that's where you know hits home with me. And I, I remember bringing uh, when Evil was when I was a young kid, and you know being associated with Harley Davidson, um, that was awesome for a kid like me. Well, especially growing up in a Harley dealership. Exactly. That's the point. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You were probably the most popular kid in school. It, I was an evil Knievel nut, and uh, you know, to have this here now is pretty surreal. So he started jumping uh, on the Harleys in the um, in 1971. Um, some of the things we're looking at here, we jumped in the Houston Astrodome. He set an attendance record in the Astrodome for his jumps. He jumped at a uh, NASCAR race in uh, um, Ontario, California. But that day, they were filming uh, the movie Evil Knievel. And George Hamilton played Evil in the movie. And so there were, Evil did the jump, but they were doing cut-ins with George as Evil Knievel um, to do the filming. I remember seeing that that film. Yeah, it's you really know, bad. It, it was a really <laughs> bad film, but, but it's great. But that doesn't matter. No, it, was it didn't still, matter. It was still like wow. It was still Evil You had to go see it. It's so true. Uh, and you can bring it up now on uh, YouTube and watch it, and it's it, it's <laughs> it's terrible to watch, but it's great at the same time. Right, you know, right. it's, it's 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 so fun. It's so fun. So uh, he did jump in Kansas uh, soon after that in 1971 at the Kansas State Fair in Hutchison. Okay. So uh, that was in 1971. I was almost to turn five, and my parents took me to that that event. So, oh, really? Yeah. I'm, and you can see a picture of the grandstands here, and I'm in the very top row of the grandstands uh, watching that that day. So. But you were there. I was there, and I remember it. You know, I don't remember anything else from being four years old, but I have a vivid memory of everything that happened that day uh, because it was so impactful. And to have the motorcycle here, the actual bike that he jumped that day. Wow. That's what we're looking at right here. Um, so and, 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 and his costuming is is that's the, a, that's is the stars and the V and the, the blue the and the yep. the red. What uh, you remember, man? Yeah, that's what that's what I remember. Yeah, but and, the bike has a seat that's uh, done in well, it's just like the old banana seats on those stingrays. Great point. And uh, it's it's red with white stripes on the seat part, and around the outside is blue. Yeah. Uh, so this bike now is kind of yellowish, but it's because of just the paint fade. It's all the original paint. You can see the picture of it's bright white back then, but right. it's really special to have. Um, you know, this is really the most authentic um, Evil Knievel motorcycle that there is. I mean, the Smithsonian has one of his bikes. This one's a little more authentic. I mean, theirs has got some pieces on it that aren't aren't uh, true to win from from Evil. Um, those are actual leathers. Is that leathers. a parachute on the back? Yes, it is a parachute. So, so he was able to slow down faster if he needed to. It wasn't really for that. It was more for show. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But that's what he kind of. That's the that's, way he framed it. Right. You know, that was the narrative. And you see, everybody asks why there's two clutch levers on this bike. Uh, you know, right. mo motorcycles just have one on the on the left handlebar, where there's two here, and that extra lever is to activate the parachute. So what he would do oh. is, um, after the jump, he would pull the parachute just for show, and there's the parachute right behind you there in that oh, okay. display. And it was a big, one of his sponsors was Olympia Beer, and it was a big Olympia Beer uh, <laughs> parachute. So it was the way he was 
he was promoting. Again, people who didn't do the promotion like this and have sponsors, and um, that's he was really the first guy to really. Okay, now take I need that to route. ask you a personal question. Have you rode that bike? No, we haven't. You got uh, a big smile on your face. No, we haven't. We actually <laughs> we have ridden a couple of the bikes in here. We've ridden the American Eagle. Uh-huh. Um, but this one's just a little bit too. You've sat on it. We sat on it. <laughs> yeah, I have to admit that. It's pretty. It's pretty crazy. Just to even. Just to even. even think just about to even sitting. see it. Just see it's it. Just, just, yeah. Um, yeah. It's awesome. It's an awesome piece. Probably one of our favorite pieces here. This area, we got some crew jackets. Uh, we got more jumps. It's kind of a and second. And the crew jackets have the Olympia beer there you go. label on He's them. He's always so. promoting his sponsors. Um, you know, everybody does that now. Right. Oh, yeah. He was the first. He was the first. So we go into another era of the Harley Davidson. This was the, the first bike we looked at was the uh, cast iron XR750. This is the aluminum alloy XR750. So it was the next iteration of what Harley was producing. It was lighter, faster, um, and actually a better jump bike for Evil. Um, he actually, the first time he jumped it, he over jumped his ramp because it, it went so much uh, better. But this is. We did call he it, wreck it then? He did. He, he okay. broke his back um, on that one. It was in Atlanta. But the, uh, this shows uh, some of the jumps from the area. He was really, his shows were progressing. He was flying into his shows in a helicopter and landing. A lot of drag strip jumps. Um, he would get out of the helicopter in his suit, not his not his uh, performance suit, but a uh, dress suit, okay. and wave to the crowd, go into the Mack truck, which was his dressing room, and then he would reappear in his, uh, his leathers and be ready for the jump. So it was all part of his, his show. Huh. So this bike, we call it the LA bike because uh, um, he jumped into the Los Angeles Coliseum. Um, and one was this was 1972 era. Or? 1973 was when he started jumping with this this later okay. bike here. So, and again, you've got some really cool pictures, but I'm interested in this one here. His jet bike, the Pardon? helicopter jet engine, was purchased from drag racer E.J. Potter. So he made a three wheel bike with a jet engine on it, and it was part of his show to. Um, at the event, things would happen before the jump, and one of the one of the uh, things that would happen was he'd bring out this jet bike and run it up and down in front of the the ramp, and and pretty crazy, really I think loud. I remember hearing about it, but I don't think I've ever seen a picture of it. Yep, um, that's one piece that is still out there in existence. We and know when about did he it. start wearing the cape? I see the cape. Uh, in one of these pictures. Was that about 1973 that yeah, he added the cape? He did add the cape. and um, Yeah, who wears a cape? You got to be a... Well, a superhero. That's right. But who was... But, but Evil Knievel was a superhero. He really was. He <laughs> Let's was get true, real here. Real life superhero. So his career went on. Um, he actually uh, jumped at Wembley Stadium in England. Um, this was in... Uh, this was in 75. So we're looking at the motorcycle jumps here. Um, we're going to get to the uh, Snake River jump, which was in 1974. Okay. But uh, this, these are all the motorcycles. So we, we're looking at a, um, another version of the XR750 here. And this is the actual tank and tail from the Wembley jump. 
Um, it's a bit dinged up, but that jump that day when he went over there, um, Wembley Stadium holds 90,000 people. Okay. And when he showed up in England, they had sold 3,000 tickets. So That's all? That's all. So he went on a promotional tour around, talked about how England was so lucky to have the United States because they would have lost the war if we wouldn't have helped them out, and kind of got everybody mad in <laughs> England, and kind of just talked smack on, on them, and did his bravado thing. So what we think happened is everybody wanted to come out and see this guy crash, and uh, they got their wish, but he ended up selling out Wembley Stadium. 90,000 people wow. came that day. And he showed up, and there was uh, 13 buses. Problem was, English buses, what he found out, are a little bit wider than buses here in the U U.S. Okay. And he took a look at it, and he told Frank Gifford from Wild World of Sports, he said, Frank, I can't jump that far. I don't have enough run. I don't have the right gearing. I can't make that. And Frank said, well, why don't you just take one of those buses out? And he said, I told him I'm jumping 13. I got to jump 13. So he, he knew he wasn't going to be able to make it that day. And he got up at the top of that ski ramp in the stadium. And he went down pretty much knowing that he wasn't going to make it. And I look at this picture here, and it's him sitting in the stands all by himself contemplating the jump. And you can kind of look at that picture, Lauren, and you can tell. You can see it in his face. Yeah, that he's, he knows that... Uh, He's not going to make it, and he didn't. And it was another one of the terrible crashes. And it was—it looks like he just barely didn't make it. Again, his wheel got hung up on the down ramp, his he, back wheel. He, he hit so hard that it launched him a second time into the air. And, uh, you know, he, he ended up concussion, broken pelvis, broken back, broken hand in this. Um, but what he asked him to do, and you see over here on the right, is with the broken pelvis, broken back, he said, get me up. I want to walk up the ramp and thank the crowd. And they said, no, you need to get on the stretcher. And he goes, no, I walked in here. I'm walking out. So he's, there he is walking with the... Yeah, and he got up and he, and he addressed the crowd. And he said, uh, you've seen the last jump. He said, I will never, ever, ever jump again. Um, and that was... Uh, he, he retired that day at Wembley Stadium until about six months later <laughs> after he healed up and he went to uh, he went to Kings Island, Ohio and he came on TV and he said you heard me retire on TV but that was the pain talking I'm, uh, I'm not done and I tried to jump 13 buses that's an unlucky number so I'm going to jump 14 buses um, so in Kings Island, uh, he went for it, and uh, he actually made it. You know, so but that day, because of his history and what had happened in in London, it w it turned out to be the highest rated Wild World of Sports broadcast ever, wow. and it still holds the record. Still holds the record. Yeah, yeah. So everybody stopped what they were doing again. It wasn't videotaped or DVR'd right. or anything. Went in their house. I think I remember watching it. Uh, you probably were one of them because everybody did. Everybody and, did. And uh, sat down as a family and watched him. And 
Unfortunately, my mind was probably still in black and white. It probably was. <laughs> probably was. Most, I don't remember when we work. got a color TV, but it, it, yeah. So what you'll see here too is some of the video from that day and, and his son Robbie performed with him. At the time, Robbie was 13 years old and we've got his leathers and his kids that from the leathers okay. from that day. And it was really kind of the start of Robbie's career, which they went on to try to launch, you know, years later. So... And he set a lot of records himself. Robbie actually jumped more times than Evil, and he did set a lot of records. The difference was, as we spoke earlier, Robbie used more of a dirt bike with the lighter suspension. and uh, So it wasn't exactly the same, but Robbie did incredible jumps. Um, he learned from the master. He learned from the master. I mean, all the mistake. If, if Evil couldn't pass on all of his mistakes and learning, uh, yeah. learning curves... By that time, uh, Robbie wasn't a real smart guy. So well, Robbie, I'm, I'm, I'm had, he Robbie pushed the limit, and he had some absolutely terrible crashes as well. But right. that's part of the life of being a daredevil stunt driver. If you don't crash a little bit, nobody's interested. That's right. You know? That's right. So you do, you got to be able to get back up from it. So this was at the end of his career, the late 70s. Um, he jumped at the Kingdome in Washington, indoor record, seven buses. But didn't do a really great jump. He wasn't real proud of it. He even said, I didn't do real good today. But he made it. Um, kind of nosed it over onto the front wheel. Went, you know, Jaws was a big right. uh, movie. And uh, I, I, when we look at this, too, a lot of people remember when Fonzie went to jump the sharks on the Happy Days. Okay, yeah. So um, that was kind of uh, conceived by evil, what he had done. In 77, he jumped 13 sharks in Chicago. Well, Evil at that time, um, he had crashed so many times, he was, he was doing a little bit more practicing before the jumps. And during the day before the jump that evening, which the evening jump was a CBS live, uh, what they called the Evil and the Death Defiers, and it was going to be a live special on CBS. He crashed in warm-ups during the day when, with no crowd there. Um, broke both of his arms, uh, hit a cameraman, hurt the cameraman. So they didn't tell the crowd. The crowd went ahead and came and filled the stadium. You can see in the bottom picture down there. Right. um, Well, Evil's in the hospital with two broken arms, and it came to the point for Evil to jump, and no Evil can Evil, and they said, sorry, folks, he's not here. He crashed earlier. We're going to show you the video from the crash. People were not happy. Oh, I'll bet. Yeah, yeah. So he's in the hospital, and he gets uh, a lot of fan mail in the hospital. And our hypothesis is they didn't give him all the fan mail because it was not a lot of friendly uh, fan mail. So there was. Um, we actually acquired 300 unopened fan mail, uh, which is in this display here. Oh, really? From that day that were sent to evil for uh you know into the hospital <laughs> this is this is really interesting to look at because you can tell like this one here there's a picture of of a uh oh that's his uh snake, snake river, river yeah. jump but uh it, it looks like it was drawn by somebody what maybe in the fifth grade sixth grade so we contacted joey martinelli and that's <clears throat> okay. who's on here um and we found him on Facebook, and he had an evil Knievel background on his Facebook. <laughs> Still. So we knew it was him. <laughs> and uh, we showed him the picture, and he said, no, that's not me. I didn't do that. And we're like, no, it has to be you. 
And we sent the letter along with it. He says, oh my gosh, that's my dad's handwriting. He was so young, he didn't realize, he didn't remember that he had done it, but evil is his hero. And I said, well, your, your picture's up in the museum. And so his mind was blown. Yeah. Uh, and you can see a lot of other ones here that are addressed by, oh, here's, here's one that's, uh, Evil Knievel, Chicago, Illinois, and, and, uh, they're Evil Knievel's pictures. I mean, he's got a drawn uh, in pen picture of Evil Knievel going up the ramp on the front of the envelope. It's awesome. So <laughs> this is just we, so cool. We opened up every one of them and uh, read them, and it was so much fun. They were all 40 years old. Yeah. Um, never been opened. Time capsules. They were time capsules. There was a lot of pictures of kids with their school pictures. You remember the little pictures uh -huh. that you had? And they put it in there and get well. And there were class that had done... Um, the whole class had done um, uh, letters to evil and they put it in. <laughs> but there was a lot too that were like, we're then, weren't happy about the, you know, showing up and not, not being there. So it was a mix of get well and. Go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we, we put a few up here, as you, but this one was great because uh, it was addressed, it, it came from London, um, London, England. And it was addressed to Mr. Evil Knievel at a hospital in Chicago, Illinois. <laughs> I and wonder if the it. postmaster knew what hospital yeah. he was. He made it. That's how. It, that's why it's here. That's so, so cool. They didn't even have an address on it, but it said Evil Knievel at a hospital, oh, and great. they got it to him. That's so good. that this whole is... case is full of great stories and. Oh um, man, so few of that them. had to have been an interesting afternoon or, awesome. or a week or whatever it, was it took great. to read it. It was great. So this is kind of the end of his career. After that. He kind of fell out of favor with, uh, with uh, um, the public, and he was kind of done. So they kind of tried to transition Robbie into Evil Knievel 2. Um, and this is when they went on the world tour, and Robbie and Evil were jumping together. So we're looking at some leathers here from Robbie and Evil from that time. We're also looking at some helmets from, that's the shark jump helmet there. Um, something, some, something else I kind of want to bring up. These are your road bike Full face helmets. Right. They're not your your motocross with the uh, chin guard that goes way on out and stuff. But at the beginning, when we when we first came in here, the helmets were not full faced helmets. They weren't. They he, were just regular helmets. His first helmet at that Ascot jump on on Wildwood Sports was the first time he wore a full face um, helmet, and it was yellow. Right. Um, and I remember the full-faced helmets were the ones that you really wanted as a kid. You did. I mean, yep. you know, the, the other ones were all readily available, but the full-faced ones, it was like you'd fight over those. And that's because evil made them popular. <laughs> he did. You know, that's, that's, that's a big reason why. And it's so, a good thing he did. I he mean, did. You know, he was all about safety, and he was always about an advocate for wearing a helmet. So uh, this display here shows all of his jumps, and he jumped actually over 170 times. What people would be surprised about and what they're surprised about when they look at this is he crashed 19. I was going to say, I'm not seeing that many crash tags yeah, for what I thought that he did. Yeah, because the crash has got the most publicity. Right. So they're like, oh, well, that's not too bad. He only crashed 19 times. Well, who's crashed 19 times? You know, I mean, if you start thinking about each one of those crashes and you go, one bad one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I mean, 19 times is a lot to do, a uh, lot, lot for the human body to do. Oh, uh, and to be able to die in natural causes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? He was in pain in his late years. I mean, he was, 
he was on a lot of pain medicine to keep him because he, he. I'll bet he knew when the weather was changing. He did. He did. Um, there's reports that he had um, over 10 pounds of metal in his body. You know, wow. from you know just bolting him back together. But this is amazing. I mean, really, when you, like like you said, when you look at this, it says success, 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 and then crash, and then you got 10 more successes. Crash. One success. Crash. 10 more, then two crashes in a row. But uh, you've got one whole page here that's only got four crashes on it. Uh, yeah, and then at it, the end of his career, from 72 through 73, he went basically crash-free. I mean, he was figuring it out yeah, at that point. Yeah, you can, you can see. It, you know, it was his career, too. It was his living. He right. needed to jump to make money. He's he's not making money when he's in the hospital. No. So a lot of those jumps too. He was still injured. He still had broken bones, but he had to go out and perform. Um, but here he had a really bad crash. Let's say in in Tahoe, uh, Carson City, but and that was October thirteenth. But he was back jumping again by April twenty fourth. That's a, a what six month recovery? Yeah. And you know what? You can even look <clears throat> in a couple of different places here at the beginning of seventy two. He jumped March 3rd and crashed. He was jumping again March 26th and crashed. And he jumped again um, June, June 11th and crashed. Um, that just is not much recovery time. No, for... and, and this one he had a broken collarbone while he jumped. So, and yeah, uh, he actually crashed here. This is, we talked about it earlier in Atlanta when he broke his back, but he came to Oklahoma City the next week and jumped. He shortened up his jump, uh -huh. um, but he still did it. And then they had to put him back on um, crutches after he got off the bike. But, you know, he'd said he was going to perform. So if he could actually do it, he did it. Okay, now I'm standing here in absolute awe. This is just unbelievable. We are looking at the Mack truck you said you restored. This is a cab over. What, what year is it? It's 74. 74. 74 Mack Western. And, and this thing is just unbelievable. I, the, it's got the... Uh, white paint with the blue stripes with the Evil Knievel Enterprises in it and this cab is all done with that same plasticky banana seat it's all material, vinyl. Yeah. all vinyl. He's got uh, blue uh, headliner in here with stars on it. The seats are red with white stripes coming up and the blue stars on it just like his, his uh, uniforms or his costuming. The engine cover's all covered in the same blue plastic uh, this is just unbelievable. This is so cool. It is unbelievable. If you would have seen it in the, uh, and we'll see some pictures here of, of the condition we got it in. When you look in this cab with the pictures we got, um, you could see more sky than metal. This thing really? was so rusted out. Oh, um, man. So it was complete. Every single nut and bolt on this whole truck had to be redone. And we took it down to the bare frame and the, and the engine block and started over and even the controls you see on the dash, every right. single thing was was redone. Some some cool features about this this truck, which were unique, and Mac built a kind of a custom version of this for him. Um, it was an automatic, and there was nobody that had automatics, and they did it for him because he had been injured and it was hard for him to to run the clutch. run the clutch. So when they when they would stop this truck at truck stops, all the truckers were all envious when they saw that he had an automatic. Uh, uh, Mac from that era. That was unique. This is just so cool. It is shiny. I mean, the chrome <laughs> underneath and the chrome stacks. And then you redid all the interior. He's got the uh, 
what is it, this 20-foot uh, living quarters? What do you call it? Coach. Yeah, the coach. And um, this was basically his dressing room. So we've had guys from NASCAR and NHRA come in here that have haulers like this now. You know, right. they haul semis but uh, with living quarters. But they are like, Evils was the first. Nobody had even thought about putting uh, living quarters in a semi. Um, it was the first one, and it set the standard for what you see now as normal. And right. again, evil led the way. So, um, yeah. This and it's was, just bright red with the blue and white stripes. And I mean, this is just such a, your eye just goes boom. You it's know? pretty awesome. It's oh, awesome out of here. Um, and the, the trailer that he pulled behind, the, the coach, um, that's where he hauled his motorcycles and the ramps. So what you're looking at there, Lauren, is the ramps and all the way back to that first jump in Wild World of Sports, Caesars, Wembley, he only used one set of ramps. It's those ramps the whole right time. there. The whole time. And they were, they were made out of plywood and... Uh, massive lumber with uh, big... Uh, no, there wasn't plywood. Oh, okay. Uh, they, these, took, these took extra large forklifts to move them around. Um, because they're so heavy. And did he use a, a runway that was uh, wood also, or did he jump up onto? Did he come onto the ramp just from gravel, or? It depends on what he's jumping. He would jump from the ground, a lot of drag strips, so he was on the pavement. But if he was jumping buses, for right. instance, he used the same ramps. So they had to elevate the ramp up to the height of the bus as opposed to a car. Okay. So if they elevated the ramp up, that meant they had to elevate the, the run-up. So at Wembley Stadium, when he jumped the buses, you'll see he's on a plywood raised run-up. Yeah. Um, same with Kings Island. So okay. he couldn't do it from the ground because he's, he's using the same ramps, and they would run him right into the middle of the truck or the bus. So they had to raise the ramp up and raise his runway up. So that's why he was... Okay, because I saw what looked like... Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Wow. So what you, we're coming around the corner here. There's a 20-minute documentary of the restoration of the, of the Big Red, the Mack truck. It's called Big Red. Okay. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... When we get through here, I'm going to come take a look at some of this video stuff because right this is just so cool. And, right and, I, and because we're audio... Uh, we just got to describe, and, and we will have some pictures on the Facebook page. I wish everybody could see and, it. Oh, yeah. this is just... Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully you can put some pictures up. I tell you, we've hauled this around. Let me... Let me. Hey, Linda, did you get pictures of the inside of the cab of this thing and some of that? You didn't? Okay, yeah. So, so, so Linda's my photographer. Yeah. I, I'm too busy talking to get all the good pictures, so I always have to steal them from her phone in order to put them on... Uh, so we have toured Big Red around. Oh, and, have you? Yeah. Uh, Mack Trucks came and saw about the time we were finishing this and made, paid a visit. Their executives flew in to see it because it was a big, it's a big deal for their company. And they were very happy uh, with what we had done. And they actually told us it's the nicest restoration they'd ever seen of a, of a Mack truck. Well, they, they jumped on board and uh, um, we, we had two semis. Um, and one each had a trailer and we put the coach on one and the trailer on the other and toured it around and went to some uh, we went to Sturgis we went to NASCAR races we went to truck shows we went to uh, Hollywood for the premiere of Johnny Knoxville's uh, film called Be Being Evil okay. and uh, the truck was at the, the premiere so we got to go out and 
and hang out with Knoxville and his crew. But what would happen when they're driving this down the highway is, you know, obviously in one lane and cars would be passing in the left lane. Well, what people would do is they would go up and then start taking pictures. So it blocked both lanes. Oh, yeah. And always when this truck was going down the road or the trucks, gigantic mile-long traffic jams behind it <laughs> because the next person would then pull up and take pictures and then the next person would pull up and slow down so nobody could pass um, and there was just a gigantic traffic jam of this thing going down the road. <laughs> caused all I'll sorts bet. of problems. It probably even caused problems going the other way. It sure did. <laughs> it sure did. Wow. And I think that was the same when Evil was running it back in the day too. That is just, it is such a pretty, pretty truck. It's just yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. And then you've got a uh, this Evil is, Knievel. It's a trike that was, um, people are going to be familiar with the name of uh, George Barris. And he was... Uh, oh, okay. Um, yeah, he, he was a big collector in uh, Reno, wasn't it? He was not a collector. He was a car builder. And he did cars like the Monsters. Okay, um, right. All of the Hollywood big cars, the Bat- Batmobile. Okay, okay, okay. He, he was the, the creator of that. Well, Ideal uh, uh, Toys, AMF Toys had, had a, a little uh, three-wheel... Um, Evil Knievel tricycle. Okay. And they hired him to build a full version replica of it with the Harley Davidson Sportster. And that's what we're looking at here is this uh, that, that AMF had commissioned Barris to build. Evil was really only around at one time and he rode it on to the Sonny and Cher show. Okay. Um, so that's what's playing there in the background okay. is he did a little skit with it and uh, that's that's the the time that evil was associated with it. You can, uh, oh, Linda's wow. going to get some pictures here of the inside of the coach, but uh, you can walk up some stairs and, and look in the coach. and You can see the, uh, the bar there. Um, dressing rooms back here. There's a restroom in it. Um, the bar was on a swivel. Okay. And he would swivel it out, and what was below it was a compartment where his safe was welded into the bottom of the frame of the the coach. So that was where he put his cash, and he only jumped for cash. Okay. He wasn't going to wait until afterwards and have somebody write him a check. You know, that wasn't going to (laughs) fly. And he also also, um, requested it before he jumped, not after. Right. Um, So he would get the cash, put it in the, uh, the safe, um, so we got the, we got the safe when we were restoring it, and we opened up, and there wasn't any cash left. Oh, there. Yeah. well, that's too bad. Yeah. So you can see where he hauled his the, motorcycles here in the back of the trailer, right? Um, and then these pictures, as we talked about, show the condition of the the truck when we got it, um, and the the work that had to be done. It was about two years worth of uh, work uh, to bring this thing back. You can see the inside. Well, it was all raining. I can say, Mike. Is this is one heck of an awesome Mack truck restoration for somebody that's never done one. Well, <laughs> and as I said before, we can't take full credit for it. Uh, there was a lot of guys uh, that, that jumped in and, and, and helped. Uh, Chuck Stover, uh, Todd Williams were my two main partners on it, and a lot of other people too. But we kind of uh, were the, the main contractors on it, did a lot of the work ourselves, but... Uh, it was a team effort. Gorgeous. It is absolutely gorgeous. So this is what we call our media hallway. 
and you hear some uh, of the audio of Evil Talking, the Wild World of Sports uh, music, and then what we have on the walls here is about 300 articles of newspapers that are blown up, and it really just shows the impact and how much press Evil got um, through his career. It's just unbelievable headlines, and just to stand in here and just look at the headlines, let alone read the stories, it's it's crazy. And on the other on the other wall here, there's a quote, and the quote says, "I created Evil Knievel, and then he sort of got away from me." And it was Evil Knievel. You know, he had to keep out doing himself, and you know that caused caused a lot of injuries. Oh yeah, you know, is what he well, had. especially like you were saying there in England, you know, where he knew he wasn't going to make it, but had to do it anyway. More than once that happened. More than once. So uh, we'll we'll head upstairs now. Um, so the, the museum is two levels. Um, it's about uh, twelve thousand square feet. I think people are surprised at how many artifacts we have. It's not just uh, um, and you know as we were going through there talking too, we 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 didn't talk about every single artifact that oh, was no. that, that was there. Um, as we're going up the stairs, we're in the. Um, in the, the hallway here, and it's it's two levels high, and we've got a, a bike suspended in the air with the with evil jumping it, and his parachute in the back, and it's kind of a, a nice way to display the parachute. Yeah, you get to see the parachute we were talking about earlier. Yep. I'm not a stunt man. I'm not a daredevil. I'm an explorer. So all throughout the a museum quote by evil are Knievel. yeah quotes that he had, and uh, he had a lot of great quotes. This isn't. This is a sign telling you that this direction to uh, Snake River, but this is an actual that's artifact. Actual, that's an artifact wow. from the from the site. So on the second floor here, um, we have a lot more. Uh, it's a lot more interactive up here. But we this the section we're looking at at this point is the uh, wardrobe. So it's got a lot of his kind of outlandish outfits. Um, First thing we see here is a is a hockey outfit. Yeah. So in Butte, hockey was big, and Evil was a hockey player. Okay. And uh, um, this was uh, a shirt it says Knievel on the back, and uh, we're playing on a little TV a skit that he did uh, with, with Donnie, Donnie and Marie. Marie. Yeah. And, and that's an old TV too. Yeah. yeah. One so, that you now, now this is before the day when you had a remote control. Remote control was walk up, turn the channel to one of the five or six channels that you had. Yeah, your remote control was your kid telling to go up it, and get the... Well, I was yeah. a remote control. I never had a... You know, by the time I had kids, there were, were, were remote controls. Yeah, so the, the hockey stick here, too. He had the hockey stick on the show. That's the actual one. So those okay. are cool artifacts from the Donnie Marie show. And then it's just some of his, his suits. His, um, he, he played in a lot of golf. He was a big-time golfer. Played in a lot of celebrity golf tournaments, uh, crazy uh, overall hee-haw overalls um, that he played in in some tournaments with. But um, white suit with his that looks like his leathers that he would wear out. Um, pretty famous for his uh, evenings out was evil. Um, in this, this is kind of our our high end artifacts, and um, we're looking at a. Um, Set of boxing gloves here. One of his good friends was Muhammad, Muhammad Ali. Ali, and you can read what it says on there. Uh, too evil. Okay, too evil. evil with lo lo love, Muhammad Ali. Wow. Yeah, so pretty cool to have those. Um, we've got his cane. 
uh, here. The You've got a helmet can. that is all scratched up. So that helmet is not only just a scratched up helmet, that's the Caesar's Palace helmet. That's the seat, okay. So last wow. time that was worn was, uh, was all those scratches were from the uh, parking lot of Caesar's Palace and um, there you go. It's wow. an amazing piece. And then some jewelry. Uh, his actual jewelry. Um, and then this helmet here is the uh, um, Wembley Stadium helmet. So it is only those scratches are from the Wembley Stadium floor in London. And it says "Color me lucky" on the bottom. That was his. That was his catchphrase. <laughs> yeah, that was his catchphrase. This is uh, an interactive uh, piece here. So it's a touch screen, and when you touch it, evil comes up on the screen here. And when I move my hand around, I'm moving an. Um, a circle around on the screen and it's exposing his, his, oh. his bones. Now isn't that cool? So when you come to a, like he broke his back there, you see it six times. Six times. So I can, I can hit these hot spots and he broke his back in Monroe, Washington, in Kent, Washington, Long Pond, Pennsylvania, Atlanta, Georgia, Wisconsin, and London. And then, if I choose, I can uh, play the video of the crash. Of the crash. Yeah. Or I can uh, look at, since this is the back, I can look at his x-rays. The actual x-rays. Yeah. So we have over 40 x-rays. So it's basically, it's a history of how evil broke himself up. And it, you, can, you can also wow. go over to one of these screens. You've got, what, three touch t uh, screens here? Yeah, and these screens here, you pick uh, a bone... And then you can look at the X-ray. Oh, all the all the screws and metal plates and <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. So people is, find that interesting. We call it bad to the bones. Yeah, the yeah. Cool. That is. All right, we'll work our way down here. Um, the thing that everybody asks about when they come into the museum are the toys because we all grew up with the toys <laughs> and. Uh, there's the trike that we looked at downstairs right. that was in full uh, uh, full size, full, full scale. And this here's a yeah. little pedal bike. That's the pedal bike that it was uh, that was made after. A lot of guys had and girls had the the bicycle back in the day, the Evil Can Evil bicycle. Uh, people remember the pinball machine. I remember the pinball machine. Yeah, but the number one thing that everybody asks about and talks about is the stunt cycle toy. Um, and that that was the hottest selling toy of the 1970s. Um, frankly, if there was one thing that made Evil all of his money, most of his money, above and beyond the jumps, was this toy. Really? That's what, that's what he was getting million dollar royalty checks from Ideal um, wow. on the toy. So he actually made more money from this than he did actually jumping motorcycles. You got the metal lunchbox, tons of puzzles. The uh, costume, yeah, all of the other things that came off the stunt. Evil Knievel uh, curtains and bedspreads and wow, the Wheaties box. The Wheaties box. <laughs> he was on the he was on the front of Wheaties. So there's a quote here. It says, "I was the first person to be a subject of a successful action figure and toy line." <laughs> but the point of that is, is he, you know, there was there's uh, there was Batman, there was Superman, right. Captain America, and they had figures. You know, he had he was the first actual person. But he was a real hero. He was a real person. He was the first actual living person that had a, a figure. 
um, an action figure. He started it. He's, yep, those, yep. Wow. And started it. This is a fun thing. Um, we thought it would be enjoyable for, for kids to plan a jump. So you can pick your, uh, um, your outfit. You know, you can change what outfit okay. you want. You can change your, your ramp angle. Um, you can change how far you want to jump. And then these are all different bikes that Evil jumped over his career. And then uh, you've got, you can jump buses, cars, uh, fountains, police cars, and then you're ready for a jump. And what it'll do is you pick your speed, and then you see if you make it. Whee! Yep, and I did not make it. <laughs> so you can try it. You get, you get a couple of well, you better tries. try it at 95 miles yeah. an hour this next time. You got to go. So did he have a speedometer on most of his bikes, or how did he judge his speed? See the pants. Because, I mean, it, he, it was all pretty well planned out. He knew that he had to be going 75 miles an hour when he took off in order to make this jump and still hit the ramp on the downslope instead of missing the ramp altogether and over-jumping or under-jumping, didn't he? That's right. But it was all see the pants. He didn't have a speedometer. So wow. a lot of times, Ray, his, his, his main crew guy, we talked to Ray about that, and Ray said, yeah, it was his speedometer. So Evil would do his speed runs, and Ray would stand there and he'd say, yeah, it looks about right. So they didn't have the science back then. You know, there wasn't the physics and the, to figure it all out. And a lot of times these jumps now, they, they go into that and they figure out how far they need to go in the speed and the angle. Right. Um, and this is a physics experiment here, what we're doing in this, on this game, which we, we built for kids, but we found out adults love it too. Um, yeah. There's a lot of laughing and having fun in here trying to make this jump. So... Uh, oh, that's just unbelievable that, that that was all guesswork. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's, uh, well, like we saw several of the pictures where he just, he missed by only the back tire. Right. You know, uh, but... Uh, two more mile an hour, he would have Yeah, had two it. more miles, three more and miles And he's got a hour. quote that says, that, um, the only thing I regret is not going a little faster on a few jumps. You know? Yeah, but then again, you said that when he changed over from the Honda, I think, to the Triumph, he started over jumping because it was so much lighter. There was, he, he always had to deal with that too when he was jumping new bikes, so because, it kind of changed the whole scenario. Yeah, over jumping, you don't end up with the downslope, you just all boom. That's right. Oh, That's man. Right. Like we did, you know, I'm, I don't know how many times I thought my knees were going to break because I jumped my bicycle onto the flat ground. Exactly. <laughs> Wasn't pretty, right? So um, this is kind of the, the attraction that people love the most, our interactive. And right now with COVID, we can't use it. Um, but you get to sit on an actual XR750 bike like Evil's. Um, the, the virtual reality goggles you put on and you put on headphones and you start this up and we filmed a jump uh we brought in a, a daredevil doug danger from massachusetts he rode an xr 750 and he jumped 15 police cars in downtown topeka okay so that's what we're looking at here on this on this uh, uh screen uh but when you put the goggles on it actually feels like you're jumping the bike shakes you can see the the fan in the front uh -huh. the faster you go the more the wind blows on you so you get all the senses that you're jumping and you go for a jump over 15 police cars and he's got cameras on his helmet right there, 360 degree cameras. So you can turn your head and look around in any direction as you're going and it gives you real the real wow. version of what's happening. So the reason we can't use it with COVID is we have to spot people because they'll, they'll, they'll fall. fall off if we... Uh, 
We, sometimes no, we have it, to hang it, on if, to him. If he crashes on this jump, do you have a little guy from the back room come out and beat you up with a baseball bat just so you get that feel too? That's the next version. <laughs> we haven't got that far yet. But the fun thing in here is you hear people screaming. Sometimes oh. you hear cuss words. Uh, <laughs> it's really fun and laughing, and uh, it's very realistic. Even the Doug, the guy that did the jump, did it, and he said that's that's about what it feels like. So. Uh. Um, Wow. Came out pretty well. That's that, too cool. It, I'll have to come back another time and try it again. We hope it's soon. Um, you can actually do a jump and not break any bones. Yeah. So. And and then you've got several of the uh, one-armed bandits here that are Evil Knievel oriented. And uh, Johnny Carson right. interviewing. All 70s stuff. It just takes you back. You know, it's what oh, the museum yeah. does. It just takes you back to the 1970s and... Um, he licensed everything he could, you know, that's no doubt about it. So, is this the actual uh, this is Snake a, River jump machine? This is an actual Sky Cycle. So what people, <laughs> what people didn't know <laughs> and what they kind of hid was there was two of these beasts. Okay. Um, they, they made a test one and an actual one. And Evil wanted to to uh, to test this jump before he did it because it was so. Let's sketchy. go back and talk about this yeah, jump. Evil yeah. Can Evil's already retired, but uh, um, he's planning he's planning his next big event. He didn't retire. This was in the middle of his career, okay. and it was actually after about Caesars. He goes back that far that he decided he was going to jump the Grand Canyon. Right, the Grand Canyon was the initial, and he got a letter which we have here from Stuart Udall from the Department of the Interior saying uh, no permit for such land use should be issued by this department. So they would not let him jump the Grand Canyon. So he leased some land at Snake River Canyon in Idaho. We're at um, in Idaho, by Twin Falls? That's by Twin Falls, exactly. Okay. Yep, and it's the, the, the ramp site is still there. Is it uh, really? Yeah, yep. Uh, he had to build up a big kind of dirt ramp, and then he put his, his sky cycle ramp on, on top of that. And the sky cycle part of it's still there, or just the dirt part? Just the dirt part. Okay. Yep. So he hired Robert Truex to build this, this sky cycle, and Robert built two. They, they tested one early on, which was the, actually the first iteration of it, and they actually intentionally underpowered it so that it would go into the river, and the press was all there to see it, to make it look like this was a very dangerous Right. Thing. So that worked out great. And then the promoter said, if anybody sees a su successful jump here, we're, we're going to take about half your, your, the money we're going to pay right. you away. So they hit it, and they jumped with this rocket uh, about a month before the actual jump, and they put a, a dummy in there. And uh, this thing went up in the air and landed right in the river. Um, so at that point, Evil was like, Pretty, pretty stressed that he wasn't going to live. Right. Um, so the actual jump came around, same exact rocket, same thing happened. You know, he ended up um, going into the river. He just, luckily, he didn't go in all the way into the river, but uh, he survived it. Um, we say it was success because he, he, he lived. Right. Um, he actually... Cr made it across but it was a super windy day and they almost called it off but it was live pay-per-view huge crowd there really wasn't any way to 
Another one that he probably knew he wasn't going to make, but he was already too committed to not. So why don't you read the quote on the wall there that he says. When the countdown got down to three, I said, God, take care of me. Here I come and punch the fire button. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yep. And so he made it. <clears throat> he lived. He lived. He didn't make it across. The rocket made it across, and then the wind blew it back. But oh, the, is that what? Yeah, the, the I remember the, watching. Yeah, the parachute actually came out as he was ex exiting the ramp, so it it was premature. It, it was actually premature, and it was a, a technical failure. Um, there's the parachute up on the wall there. Okay. And uh, that kept him from making it. You know, I mean, it, it was lucky it didn't blow the parachute off because he. I really don't know how it, the parachute stayed on under that under the firing of it. It was right. a steam-powered rocket, which a lot of people don't know, but it was just it was steam-powered. Yeah, they had a had, had a um, a big uh, uh, tank in it, and they heated up the uh, the water to almost 600 degrees, and basically just pulled the plug, and that's what he was powered by. So he was just along for the ride. It wasn't a jet. Or anything I like that. I thought it was jet. Yeah. Yep. Oh wow! In fact, when we brought Steam it in, powered. the uh, the the city was all in a tizzy because they wanted to make sure we had decommissioned it and there was no jet fuel in it. And I'm like, nope, it was powered by water, you know. So and so oh. this this was the test the test one. Yep. Where yep. did the where did the actual the uh, Knievels have the other one? The Knievels have it. Yep. And then the ramp here that we're looking at. Uh -huh. Is um, the only last piece of the actual ramp that's in existence. So that's the actual ramp, and then you see the dirt below us here. Uh -huh. We went to the site and brought back the dirt in buckets. So this is the actual dirt from Twin Falls or from, wow. from Snake River. I'm gonna have to go visit that site. I've yes. got I've got a, a niece and nephew that live there in uh, Twin Falls. So. Oh yeah, perfect. Yeah. yeah, so I'll have to go visit them and. Yeah, and you can hear in the background the uh, the video that's running in here, and it's just explaining the whole jump and everything that happened. Steam power. Steam power. <laughs> wow. So one great story, too, from this event was um, in, when they were test-fitting Evil about a week before, he was in the rocket, and he was pretty being pretty cantankerous and um, pretty stressed about everything. And they put him in and strapped him in, and they found out that he could not unstrap himself. Um, with his suit, the way it was strapped to him. So they quickly had another suit made in Los Angeles and flew his jet down there, brought this new suit back that, that, that strapped him in differently so that he could actually unlatch himself in case he needed to, to escape. Well, um, the, the event came around that day and Evil, um, they did the whole pomp and circumstances. There was a band, they did the national anthem, He's, it was on pay-per-view, um, they decided to go make the jump and they started fitting him down into it as they put him in to get ready to go and the crew said uh evil you put the wrong suit on you put the old suit on uh-oh and uh he said too late now i'm not going to not going to go change my suit um so had he gone into the river um there would have been no chance for him to unbuckle himself and he would have surely drowned but what actually happened was he went down into the canyon and he landed about 10 feet from the water right. on the side bank. Otherwise, he, he would have drowned and everybody would have stood there and watched the guy drown. Um, that was just how lucky he was. There he goes.
We're watching the video. <laughs> I guess I guess we we're, we're not going to see the whole jump. They're it's, they're talking. They're talking. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. So this is just so cool. You know, other things you see here in the museum. We've got a uh, a movie theater. It's 1970s style movie theater, and it's playing clips from. Uh, the movie we talked about right, earlier, right. Evil Knievel, and then later in 1977, they did another movie called Viva Knievel, where Evil played himself, okay. which was, you know, we talked about it wasn't a really good movie in 71 when uh, George did it. Well, Evil was not an actor. He's a much better jumper than an actor, and that was even a worse movie. But the people <laughs> that played in it, um, you know, you look at the list of names, it was uh, Leslie Nielsen, uh, Cameron Mitchell, um, uh, Red Buttons, um, uh, Lauren Hutton. Hutton. I mean, it was a really good cast of of uh, of characters, but it was <laughs> it's it's so fun to watch. Uh, so well, that's, that's the nineteen seventy seven version. Yeah. And then the other the other um, movie that's playing in here was a TV pilot, and this was this is what's playing right now, and it was Sam Elliott played him. Um, as Evil Knievel in this TV pilot that never took off, but it had one airing. Um, so people are surprised that Sam Elliott played <laughs> Evil Knievel too. Huh. And then our last section here, we have uh, an indie car, and we go back to talking about that first jump he did on Wild World Sports with J.C. Agajanian, who was an indie car owner. Okay. Well, they became friends, and in 1977, um, e Evil jumped in on board with with uh, JC and they sponsored he sponsored this car and uh, Gary Bettenhausen drove it at the Indianapolis 500 in 1977 so we're lucky enough wow. the Agajanian family put this uh, car on display here um, that's the Evil Knievel special so it's it's a pretty this sexy just, car huh this is just so awesome the things that you guys have been able to acquire and put yeah. together and people are surprised uh, yeah. yeah and now we're looking at this uh Cadillac um, custom, pickup. Yeah, which was completely custom-made for Evil. Um, a lot of people say, oh, it was a flower car because Cadillacs had these cars that for funerals where they'd put the flowers in the back. Um, this is not a flower car. This is a custom-made Cadillac pickup. And um, what, what, what's the front end? This is, this is a lot like a, a El Camino. It looks well, like an El Camino. It's a, it's a Cadillac El Camino, and, and the front part of it, uh, they were using uh, like Chevelles and some of that for the early... El Caminos. This was would have been what a Cadillac Eldorado. Or I something? would say it was an Eldorado. Yep. I um, mean, this thing is just it, it's so cool looking. It's got the the extended tail lights like the Cadillac had with the small tailgate. Of course, there's a place to tie down your bike. There in the is. Back. There is. And uh, he actually put this in big red. And and when they um, sent everything over on a boat to London. He drove this car around London, and this was part of his promotion tour okay. when he was trying to get get the tickets going. So this this was uh, the, the car he drove around, and there's video of him um, in this car in London. So wow! His daughter told us a uh, um, a cool story when she came through the museum. Tracy, she said when uh, she was getting her driver's license, she she went she drove it to the DMV and uh, to to take the driving test and. The uh, the person the, the guy there that's giving the test said did you did you just drive up in that car you know before you got your license and she said yeah I did and he's like yeah you passed <laughs> so 
gave her a driver's license there. Wow. Uh, so she was very happy to see this, that, this car. That guy's not real smart. I would have said, I need to go for a test drive <laughs> with you. I mean. I think her dad may have been with him too. So that probably gave a little bit of uh, help to getting past the uh, the test. So the there's other, a couple more quotes. I, I was someone who the rest of the world could relate to no matter how young or old. I took great pride in being different and of making a difference in this world, and I still do. And then another no one uh, by Matthew McConaughey. He's forever in flight now. He doesn't have to come back down. He doesn't have to land. So Matthew gave the uh, um, eulogy at his funeral. Matthew and Evil were friends. Okay. And uh, so that was a quote from his, uh, from his funeral. Wow. Um, so the last pieces here is about the family, which you're reading about there, and then about uh, Robbie's career. Um, we got some Robbie's suits here, but then we've also got his legacy. And we've got people like Sean White, Tony Hawk, Travis Pastrana, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Matt Hoffman, uh, Clint Boyer, who's from close by here, Robbie Madison. These are um, extreme sports legends that all say their inspiration was Evil Knievel. And really, if you look at it, he created a whole culture, a whole whole new sport with extreme oh, sports. Yeah. And the X Games, um, I think a lot of people would say there might not have been an X Games without Evil Knievel, or these guys would have had careers because that's who inspired them. So his lasting legacy, it's hard to put a real figure on what what he's done, but... All of those guys owe their careers to him, yeah. and um, you know what we watch on TV and everything now all started with Evil Knievel. So um, it's bigger than a lot of people understand, and that's why there's a museum for him. That's why we're honored to have well, it here. I, I would, yeah. Um, you know, I you can see I still get goosebumps every time I'm in here um, that that it's here. I think we've never had a person go through this and say. Wow, it wasn't what I was hoping for. It wasn't what I expected. Um, I think you would agree. It's, I, I was going to say, I was, people... say I, I was expecting a small little, I, I was expecting nothing like this. This is just so unbelievably cool. And it brings to life a childhood hero. I mean, really, when, when I think of childhood heroes, as far as people that I wanted to, I don't know if I necessarily wanted to be like, but that I built, you know, my bicycle and, and all of that kind of stuff around. It was always Evil Knievel. And, uh, yeah. it, you know, I, I don't know what his personal life really was like. I've heard that it was kind of a shambles in some ways. I don't know if that's true or not. No, it's, it's true. It's been portrayed no, that it's, way. It's true. And it's like a lot of um, celebrity figures that, you know, you see one side and you see the other. And, um, yeah, I mean, what a life. I mean, that's a hard life for a family. Um, a hard lifestyle, and Evil was not a perfect guy. Um, right. He had a lot of faults. Um, doesn't take away from what he accomplished. And our museum is based on his accomplishments. Right. Um, there's documentaries, books, and stories about his whole life that people can read. And you know, he was human. Right. Uh, there's there's no doubt about it. Um, wasn't a perfect guy, but what he did, how he inspired people, in a true way. Um, and inspired a whole generation. Um, that was real. That and, was. And there's and it's no taking it away. Two generations. It's two generations, <laughs> right? And there's no taking it away. Um, and when people come to the museum, they can relive that. 
Yeah, and this is just absolutely awesome. Now, do you guys have a website? We do, evilcanuelmuseum.com. Okay. Um, fun thing about the website, I mean, there's, you can see some of the museum on there. Um, there's also a lot of merchandise out there. You know, oh, they, they, right. we, have a web, we have an online store, and the, the thing we see with that, that online store is, is the, uh, the international acclaim that Evil have, because on a daily basis, we get international orders from Europe, from um, all over the world. Right. I mean, just uh, even the Far East will 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 have orders from. So, Evil made an impact um, worldwide. I mean, it was Evil, um, Evil and Elvis. I was going to say, who else is there? And basically, uh, Evil, Led Elvis, Zeppelin. and Muhammad Ali, Led Zeppelin. <laughs> um, but it it, it was uh, yeah, that was the seventies and. Um, he went strong from about 67, we saw him there, to about right. 77. It was really only about a 10-year career that accomplished all this. And uh, he famously says he made, about, he made about $62 million and he spent about $64 million. Um, so he was spending it, and we look at the pictures here, and the boats, the jets, right. the cars. Because um, he, he always thought his next jump might be the last, so what is he going to save it for? Exactly. So he lived hard. Um, he lived big, and again, that's that was part of his the, the, the appeal, you know, to yeah. him. Yeah. Well, I so appreciate you spending the time with us. Oh, before we go, I, I need to I need to address something else. I made a wrong turn when I came down here, and I walked down a set of stairs, and I noticed your it's probably your restoration shop down there, but you've got all kinds of the old collector bikes down there, kind of lining the walls. If anybody's interested in old Harleys, you've got several of them down there. Besides the, the, this shop, you've got almost another museum downstairs. We do have two museums. It's yesterday's museum. And before we added the Evil Knievel Museum, that was one of the attractions here. Um, we talked about our restorations. So um, we have about 30 bikes on display and memorabilia. Um, and Are they all Harleys? They're all Harleys. They're all yeah. Harleys. Yeah. So that's part of the... You know, the visit, people can in, enjoy that too. We also have a barbecue restaurant, um, which is operating um, on a daily basis. And um, we have uh, a hair salon. We have an insurance company um, and what we call Harley Town out on the back okay. side of the building, which you haven't seen yet. I haven't seen. But there's a lot to do here. Um, so you can eat, you can get the Evil Knievel Museum, you can even get a haircut. You know, right here, right here. In Topeka, yeah, Kansas. Yeah. You can get it, we can take care of you. I can uh, get lost in Topeka, you by can. the way. I, I, I got on the wrong wrong road and ended up on a toll road, and I'm going, uh-oh, this is oh, not the no. way to go. Yeah, but, well, but, you uh, made it. We're glad you did. Uh, hope you enjoyed your stay. It was oh, a pleasure for this us to be on awesome. your podcast. Uh, we're honored and... Um, um, thank you for having us. This one's moving moving up into my top ten, and yes. I've been to a lot of museums. This one here is definitely one that if you're anywhere near Topeka, Kansas, you need to come, well, and you were born in the 60s, 70s, you need to be here and see this. This is just so unbelievable. I so appreciate your time, Mike, and I always finish out my podcast saying the world is full of wonders. People need to get out and explore, see what's out here. This is unbelievable. You need to be here. And everybody, have an absolutely wonder-filled day. All the rolling go, where am I to go? Meet Johnny, where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go?